2: The, the two, ooh, and off the cliff. <laughs> That's all right. The two best parts about coming back to this life. A, finally getting my own theme song. Uh, off the beaten path did that. I, I love that. Uh, and also I get to work with Jack. Jack's the best. Jack's our producer today. Welcome, kids. Uh, hope you're having a great day. Uh, this is a uh, an inclusive program. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's loved here. We are allies for all. Uh, we also are broadcasting live from Treaty 7 Territory, um, so very excited that you could spend some time with us today. A very interesting program. Uh, if I dare say so myself, if I dare say so myself, uh, first one where we're going to have a mystery guest, a mystery guest. You'll have to stay to the end of the podcast or the live stream for the mystery guest, uh, also, and I'll make this declaration right now, and I'll probably do it again later in the program. Uh, from your Calgary Surge, and I, I do work for the Calgary Surge in a community advisory, pa- uh, uh, you know, position, but I have absolutely nothing to do with basketball operations. So I'm very excited about this. Head coach Nelson Taroba is going to join us. The three and one Calgary Surge taking on the Ottawa Blackjacks. Now that's a name, Blackjacks. Of course. For those of us my age who remember Bugs Bunny, of course, this brings back images of Blackjack shellac, uh, but that means nothing to anybody younger than me, which is probably most of you. Um, happy you're here. I got to be honest with you. Um, it's been a while. It's it's it, it it happens a little bit. Yeah, you know, the Flames needed a general manager. Yep, they needed a coach. Yep, they weren't making the playoffs. But that was, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm bad. You know, I've been gone for retired for five months. I'm unretired. I'm back in the sports thing. Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah, I like them. You know, Craig Conroy, Brad Trullian, friends of the program, getting to talk to Peter Marr and, and Eric DeHatchik. I don't know what it was. I have no idea what it was. But yesterday at eight, just after eight o'clock in the morning, uh, I was listening to the Dan Patrick show, which I often do, uh, one of the guys I enjoy a lot. Um, and news came down that, what, maybe? Possibly? Could the PGA and the Live Tour, what, combine? And what, what struck me was that, you know, it was breaking for them live on the air. And their first source was TMZ. Uh, and then we found out just within minutes. And it became this huge story. And to to connect it back to what I was talking about, being retired for five years and out of the business, there aren't many times where the leg begins to shake. You know, you got the dog where you roll him all over on his belly and you scratch his belly and all of a sudden the leg starts shaking. That was me yesterday morning. That was, and as I am so professed, God bless those who love golf, love golf. Golf hates me and, and I feel very similar about it playing wise. But this, This is something on a completely different level. This is very, this, I had a hard time turning away yesterday. I had a hard time concentrating. When you look at the totality of what is being proposed here, you look at the hypocrisy, which is rampant through this whole thing. You look at the drama that has been created you look at the potential ramifications, not only on the sport, but on broadcast, on the golf technology marketplace, the sponsorship components to it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the white whale. This, this is what guys in my business might go a whole lifetime and not be able to sink their teeth into. This Live PGA, and don't forget the European Tour, and there's a reason I bring up the European Tour, and we'll get into that in a little while. Um, this is huge. This is really, really huge. And for someone his first professional hockey game as a fan was a WHA game, this, this brings back a lot of memories, shorter time span, clearly, but some of the same rooted self-interest and, and holier-than-thou talk back in the 70s. Um, so I'm really, uh, and I'm glad we got the right guy on, uh, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to bring on our pal, Adam Seaborn sports business analyst for the nation network and from playmaker capital. Cause, uh, he's the first guy I thought of, cause this, this is, I talked about this all the time. When a news story breaks, it's kind of like a nuclear bomb. It goes off and then the cloud goes up and then it's the fallout. And we are really starting to live through the fallout right now. Uh, we'll get to Adam in just a second. A couple things. First of all, congratulations to Michael Backlund of the Calgary Flames, one of the three finalists for the King Clancy uh, Award in the National Hockey League for his commitment on and off the ice uh, to community. Uh, Also, credit to Anders Lee of the New York Islanders and Darnell Nurse of the Edmonton Oilers. These are the three players uh, that are vying for the King Clancy Trophy. Uh, Michael does so much in our community. Um, I'm Deeply connected to a couple of his causes and, uh, you know, Special Olympics, um, ALS uh, as well, kids cancer care, but Parachutes for Pets, who we talked about on this program, who I do some work for as well. And and Michael's been a huge, huge uh, ambassador, influencer and proponent of of the work and, and started a program to help kids in foster care with their pets. So he's, he's done, you know, he and his wife, Frida have really done an incredible job in this city, in this community, much along the same lines as I think the last guy that was nominated and I think won this award for Calgary, which was Mark Giordano. Uh, So again, congratulations to him. All right. I digress. Uh, Before though, we do know, we are just days away now, this weekend, this Saturday, in Vancouver, this Saturday in Vancouver, UFC 289, Nunez versus Eldano, or Eldona, I should say. Um, the co-main event will see former lightweight champion and number one contender Charles Oliveira uh, and surging number four, Benil Derouche. And looking forward to that, plus six Canadians on the card. Six Canadians on the card. And of course, headlined by Amanda Nunez, uh, taking on Eldona. Um, Nunez, by the way, making a little news yesterday, she was in the New York post saying that now, although she's not currently in the process of retiring or thinking about retirement may look, uh, like Ronda Rousey, uh, and look at the WWE as a, uh, a path post UFC. So that's coming up UFC 289, uh, Nunez and Al Okay. Let's get to it. Courtesy of our good friends, uh, from the, the ski, sellers. Ski seller, Snowboard. I'm, I'm rushing again because I'm so excited. Uh, ski seller, Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Now, in the middle of winter, when the ski hills are open and snowboarding is going on, four locations. Right now, just the one, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, but still some great deals, um, great deals. It's It's amazing. It's amazing. So anyway, with that said, Thank you to our our sponsor, Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. Very pleased to have join us uh, again. uh, Sports business analyst from the Nation Network, also works for Playmaker Capital. Adam Seaborn, friend of the program, if we can say that, three months in, joins us. Um, I said, I don't know if you heard it, but yesterday, it's been a long time, but I got the wagon leg dog thing going on when this thing went down. This is I'm trying to think, and I'm sure there are. It's easier to get caught up in the hyperbole of all of this, Adam, but I don't remember as big a story with as much potential ramification in the world of sport than what
3: we got out of golf yesterday. Yeah, thanks again. Uh, good to be back, Rob. I, it's hard to recall the last time I was genuinely shocked. You know, like I, I no one saw this coming. There was no rumblings of this. There was no – uh, you know, no one within the golf media had leaked anything to the effect of this and golf, you know, golf is notorious for leaks. There's yep. so many athletes, there's so many players. And, uh, this was genuinely a, a really shocking story. 24 hours,
2: some time to digest. I felt like <laughs> even last night, I didn't fully understand what had happened. So, and, and, and this is not my, uh, phraseology but somebody said it yesterday and i think this this makes a lot of sense can you walk us through this but explain it to me like i'm you know in junior high again because boy there's some real twists and turns in this whole thing
3: yeah i mean the the headline to me when i saw the news and after reading a little bit i think the word merger was put out this is not a merger to me the only way to read this situation is that the saudis have taken gulf private that is the headline to me. And to understand that headline, you need to kind of peel back the layers on how professional golf works, which is it's a pretty complicated process compared to some other sports leagues out there. So to give people a little bit of context, the PGA Tour operates as what's called a 501c6 corporation. People may know that, but that essentially means that they are a member organization. Each player is a member of the tour. They have a board and they have executives that are compensated, like Jay Monahan, who will come up later. But for all intents and purposes, they're a not for profit organization. Now, yeah. why the tour was set up like this, we don't necessarily have time to get into that, but it goes back to the inception of the PGA tour and each individual event within the tour acts as both a, you know, member organization event, an opportunity for the members of the tour to, to perform and make money, but also as a charity event. And that's allowed them to, you know, totally be exempt from taxes. And forever we've been told about how the PGA tour has the greatest pension in sports. And, you know, it's the greatest meritocracy in sports for all these things. Right Mm -hmm. now, the 501 C six corp also had some challenges. It meant that the PGA Uh, for all intents and purposes their job was to put on events for their members to showcase their skills and make money they couldn't just go around and say uh, hey rory mcelroy or dustin johnson or whoever it is you're the best player here we're going to give you 20 million dollars to show up this week so that was restricting uh in a lot of ways so that right there that function of it being a charity and then having this member organization where they have hundreds of members that have to serve made it right for the picking for disruption from something like live now put that aside for a second now Mm -hmm. you have the public investment fund so this is saudi arabia's public investment fund you know it's close to 700 billion dollar fund right now it'll be a billion dollar or a trillion dollar fund. Sorry, 100, 100 billion. Uh-huh. Hard to get these numbers right. almost yeah. seven hundred billion right now. Almost a trillion dollar fund in the near future. Uh, Saudi Aramco, the biggest oil producer in the world, is, is obviously a key part of that. They are, and they have been for the last you know handful of years, actively been looking to do what you know, many people have coined as sports washing. Mm -hmm. Sports washing is investing in mainly Western sport, whether it be the Premier League with Newcastle, whether it be uh, NFL or NHL or NBA teams, which hasn't happened yet, or lesser sports, um, in order to normalize doing business with the Arab world, normalize doing business with Saudi Arabia. Now, what better sport in the world to do that with than golf, where you have you know, really big corporate sponsors, you have all the biggest banks and telcos in the US. Um, a big part of golf is this pro-am culture, where on the yep. Tuesday and Wednesday before an event, you have the CEO of AT&T goes out there and plays with you know, an important player and a sponsor. Uh, so golf seemed like a natural way for them to sports wash and get into the Western business community. And the structure of this 501c6 corp, um allowed for the disruption to go in and then to pick off players. So they went in, live starts. We all know, got another history of live. They pick off players. Mm-hmm. Now what they've done is they really put the PGA Tour in a tough spot. And I think the reason we have what we're calling a merger now, and it's not really, we'll talk about the structure of it is in a second, is because they left the PGA with no other option. I actually think that, and we can get into the moral high ground of it. we can get into all sorts of other stuff. But we will end of the day golf is actually in a better spot right now than it's ever been from a Mm -hmm. financial standpoint. Um, you know, the Saudis kind of bullied their way into it. And at the end of the day, money talks. And yep. they sat there and said, you know, if by all accounts, and there's been a couple of different news reports on this. I don't pretend to be a reporter on it, but from people I've talked to, that the Saudis openly said, you know, we have $5 billion earmarked to run this thing. It doesn't need to make a cent for us. This is a marketing expense for the public investment fund. This is an opportunity for us to get in the Western world. And yep. they eventually would have just bled the PGA Tour dry. There were right. accounts that the PGA Tour was spending 30 to $50 million a year in legal fees fighting off those lawsuits with live there were so many headwinds for the pga there was talking them having sponsors leave because they essentially said well we got to up the purses to keep players we got to double the sponsorship cost to do that and a couple of people came back and said thanks but no thanks on the double sponsorship revenue so a lot of headwinds for jay monahan and the pga tour a lot of opportunity for the saudis you know this is their way into western business and hard to shot this up at anything but a win for them it, it really,
2: really is, and you kind of touched on it, but I thought another key piece of this was all of the le- the legal, all the lawsuits, all the legalese, all of that stuff goes away today.
3: It's done. It's over. Well, yes and no. I mean, the existing okay. lawsuits are pencils down, but... I don't think that we're necessarily over the goal line yet. This was announced as if it was a uh, done deal. Let's yep. not forget that the Department of Justice in the U.S. has an antitrust division. Antitrust division is out there to regulate monopolistic activity. Hard to not see this as a golf monopoly. I mean, the DP World Tour, formerly the European Tour, yep. red, led by Canadian Keith Pelley, um, right. you have, uh, which we'll maybe get to as well. Yeah, we will. <laughs> have the Saudi Aramco Series, right? So they already have their own golf series. The LPGA Tour is not part of this announcement. Hard to believe the LPGA is not going to somehow be involved and scooped up in this. The Asian Tour is involved. So, you know, you do have a situation now where PGA members and players could say that there are no other places to play golf now. Uh, And this, you know, merger, this, you know, new business entity that's going to be created essentially is going to have a monopoly on the sport of golf. I don't know if the DOJ is going to think too kindly of that. I think that uh, there's still a chance that this gets held up with antitrust regulation. Held up or 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 stopped. Well, this is the thing: is that it's hard to tell what goes on in the United States when it comes to antitrust, because there's times when they seem to have you know pretty sharp teeth on it. Yeah. Um, when when Disney uh, purchased the Fox RSNs, they forced them to spin off those regional sports networks because they were going to have monopoly in sports. I, to be honest, I don't think that was a monopoly. I don't think that that made any sense. They probably should have let Disney keep the RSNs because their streaming services get involved in sports now. Really, they didn't have this like huge share of sport, right. uh, but they had their teeth on that one. Then there's other tech regulation with Amazon and others where they don't seem to have any teeth at all. So anyone's guess on what's going to happen from an antitrust lawsuit. If I were a betting man, I kind of think that this goes through. I honestly think that there is a a, enough money and I don't know what the lobby situation is with the PGA tour in Washington, but I don't think that Jay Monahan and Yasser Al-Rahman come out uh, this strongly unless they're pretty confident the deal gets done. I mean, Yasser was saying that he's going to have it done in three weeks, which seems impossible. Well, in North
2: America, yes, but probably not (laughs) Saudi Arabia, right? Yeah. Um, You mentioned the name and and it's more of a sidelight to me than anything, but that's Keith Pelley. Because yes. Keith, Keith Pelly has, uh, I don't know if you'd call him a legend, but almost there in Canada with his work at TSN, played a huge role in Sportsnet landing, that big deal with the National Hockey League, and then kind of left and, and went to golf over in Europe, which was a little odd. What What is his role? How did, you know... Is he a big player in this or is he just um, an add-on?
3: No, he's not a big – Okay, all due respect to Keith, he's not a big player in this. But, I mean, the DP World Tour is a big winner of this, to be honest. Because between the Live fight and the PGA Tour fight, there wasn't a lot of space left in the golf ecosystem for this European tour. Uh, You know, the DP World Tour technically owns the European uh, interest in the Ryder Cup. Um, what's going to happen now with that is, is up in the air as well. But to, to maybe further catalyze exactly what the new structure is going to be, and, and we're still learning exactly mm-hmm. what this is going to be. But by all accounts, what will happen is that a new private company is being formed. This new private company is going to be chaired by Yasser, who is the chair of the SETI Ramco, right. uh, and they are going to invest X amount of money into this new corporation let's call it $5 billion, right? Right. Uh, This new corporation is going to uh, also ingest all of the commercial interests of pro golf, essentially. So all the PGA tours, TV contracts and sponsorship deals and rights are all going to go in there. Same with DP world tour, same with the existing live deals of whatever revenue there is there. Um, And then The real question is how is the rest of it going to sit outside? You know, the PGA tour is not disappearing It, as a member organization still exists. Uh, The player pensions are still going to sit there. There's Mm -hmm. still going to be a membership process and, and, players do not today just drop right back in to be members of the PGA. It appears to be that there's going to be some kind of application process for those that have left or, you know, they relinquish their membership cards. Same for the DP world tour. They're going to have to somehow reapply and get back in. Hard to believe that guys like Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka are not going to just become right. members again. Right. Uh, is there going to be some kind of, uh, you know, you need to pay a penalty or a fee for leaving. Um, there's a lot of talk on the flip side of that. You know, Rory McIlroy came out this morning with his press conference and saying he expects that there'll be make goods for the guys that essentially hung their neck out and said, we're not going there. Stood on the moral high ground just to have the Saudi money foisted on them anyways. So still a lot to learn in terms of the structure. But by, all, you know, the, the takeaway is, is that golf is no longer. Uh, a you know non-for-profit public membership organization in North America. The PGA Tour, as we knew it, is it, no longer the same corporate structure. What golf now is, is powered by this private organization, who of the Saudis are the majority investor of. So hard to take all of that away, even if Jay Monahan's supposed to stay on a CEO and, and head of golf operations for uh, PGA and Keith Pelley is going to stay on a CEO of DP world tour. What's going to happen to live is it'll probably fold away and not exist anymore. Okay. Um, but hard to believe that this isn't essentially the you know public investment fund Saudi Arabia buying the interest of all of golf.
2: So a couple of key characters
3: in this where's Greg Norman in all of this, <laughs> well, right? He's, he's nowhere to be found. And I, I suspect that part of the terms of this negotiation from Jay, uh, with the with the PIF and with the, with the interest that be in Saudi Arabia was, Greg Norman needs to be out. Okay. Uh, he was not just – you know, listen, he was an important force in starting – He was the cult leader. He he was the cult leader, and he tried to start his own tour 25 years ago as right. well. Right, when right. When he was a younger yeah. player. He's been trying to – he's hated the PGA Tour since day one. He's always thought that there should have been more money for the players, a different model. And, I mean, we've been told – which is so funny is because, I mean, Greg Norman in some ways – and. Some people could read this as Phil Mickelson and Greg Norman kind of being proven, right. They said for a long time, the PGA tour is not an efficient structure. It doesn't benefit players enough. The PGA tour came back and said, well, we have this charity organization. You have the best pension sports. We put these events on for you and we promote you and all this stuff. Um, But they all said every other sport is a for-profit private enterprise why aren't we and the mm-hmm. pga tour kept saying well it's impossible can't be done i mean there was an attempt by something called the pgl even three four years ago yep wouldn't even take a meeting jay monahan the pga tour wouldn't even take a meeting with these guys to try to create a private golf league to work you know symbiotically with the pga tour so after all these years of being told it can't happen turns out with enough money it can't happen right so somehow now it is happening and um greg norman and phil mickelson are kind of improving correct here but i will say that Greg is nowhere to be seen, right? He's not in the press release. He's not out in the public taking a victory lap. I think that he is being kind of cut out, and I'm sure that the PGA Tour and Jay Monahan in particular said that the terms of this deal mean that we'll never see Greg Norman again.
2: Let's talk about Jay Monahan because I, I think he's kind of caught up in the in the two circles: the, the the world of the business of this, and then the public perception of all of this. Um, he's he has certainly seceded the high ground. He has no moral high ground, but does that even matter Uh, at the end of the day? I mean, everybody, he became kind of the butt of jokes and everybody's ire was focused yesterday, but did he just do a deal for ultimately his employer, the PGA? And will he not get a golden handshake at some point to go away?
3: I think he probably will get a golden handshake to go away. I mean, he was the commissioner of professional golf and, his mandate, as everyone has a mandate, was to get the payers pl- uh, players paid, right? His job was to put on tournaments yep. and make the players the most amount of money, whether it means increasing the purse size or whatever. Yep. so har- hard to say he hasn't done that here. This is going to mean there's more money in golf. There's more money for players. But I do think that from a public perception standpoint, I, I mean, he – is going to see a lot of backlash it already has seen a lot of backlash from players and the players only mean that happened yesterday here in Toronto. At the, at Oakdale, <laughs> I Oak It's fascinating. Somehow it. the Canadian open has become the epicenter of yeah. breaking news last year. So just a year ago today, to give people context, Monaghan was on the broadcast with Jim Nance. This is the peak of the live verse PGA tour stuff, you know, invoking the nine 11 families. Yeah. And, and I mean, taking this moral stance against the Saudi Arabia and the PIF, one of the all-time 180s here by him. So he's certainly ceded any kind of credibility uh, from that perspective. Um, But, listen, from a business perspective, hard to see that he probably doesn't walk away with some money here. And uh, But I don't think he'll be the CEO for much longer. I think there's going to be players that will never want to speak with him again because they're going to feel as though they were lied to. And there's going to be players who are genuinely going to be asking – I was offered 100 million dollars last year by LIV. I said yep. no cuz you told me that if I left for LIV, I'd never play again, we're never going to do business with them. Will Zalatoris is a good example, 130 million here up on the screen. So, yep. um, those guys are going to be saying, "Where's my make good? Like where's my money?" Because apparently we're just going to do business with them anyways, and the money's going to go into this golf pool, but I could have taken the money. So, I actually think there's probably going to be some reparations here. I think there's going to be some existing PGA Tour members that are that are made whole to these numbers that we see here. I don't how do you think do so. That? Well, this like, is how, the thing. This right? is we're we're in a new era of golf. The one thing that other yeah. pro sports has is you had a you have like a NHLPA or NBAPA, you have a player association and you have teams and you yep. have salary cap and contract negotiations. Golf was always in a lot of ways, the easiest sport because it was performance based said so the purse this week is 20 million and first place gets this and second place gets this and so on and so forth. Now you're going to have people negotiating all kinds of, well, I'm, you know, I move the needle when people come and in this tournament, I want to be paid this. And, you know, if you have infinite funds, you know, quote unquote from the Saudis, perhaps that doesn't matter. But at some point, the buck is going to stop here in terms of how you measure success in golf. And I, I think what's going to happen is golf is going to turn into, yeah, there's going to be a purse every week and guys are going to pay for a purse, but there's also all of a sudden going to be these kind of like baseline contracts. You're going to have like a league minimum type situation where you're going to have, okay, once you're on the tour, you have a league minimum of X hundred thousand dollars a year per tournament. You show up to, there's going to be bonuses. Then on top of that, you get the playing performance based on the purse. So golf's going to start looking a lot more like other pro sports from that perspective.
2: And I'm glad you brought that up because that was part of the storyline yesterday was no, I think Rory said today that he was given a heads up, but only an hour or so before, like there was a lot of people that were blindsided and had their phones blow up. Um, Can you just talk about tiger and all of this? Because you can't talk golf without talking tiger. We had that graphic up. He turned down $800 million or yeah, $800 million to go to the live tour. Tiger is not the player he used to be. Tiger is not healthy enough to be the player he used to be. Does he still get that? Does it, you know, not know. that, but... Does I don't he... think
3: so. I don't yeah. think Tiger is going to get... Uh, he's. I'm sure he's going to be paid here and there'll be something, but it's not going to be nearly that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though. Like If you think back to... you know, If this had happened 10 years ago, mm-hmm. or maybe even more, oh. when Tiger was really in his prime... I don't think this would have happened, to be honest. I think what would have happened is the PGA Tour would have been able to stand up a fight because I think if you read between the lines, what was happening is that the Live Tour was saying, we we have $5 billion to fight you on golf, and we're going to slowly buy golf and we'll bleed you. Dry on it. And PGA Tour said, okay, what well, we have to do, keep players. They doubled the purse sizes. They uh, said we're going to do more of these elevated events. They created this, um, you know, player impact program called the PIP, which essentially was like a made up thing to pay the top players based on social media exposure, whatever that meant. But if this had happened years ago and you go around to the sponsors, you go on to Charles Schwab or or you know John Deere and you say, Listen, guys, it's it's either stick with us or you're gonna lose Tiger to the Saudis, I think it's yeah. a lot easier to ask to go from a ten million dollar check to a twenty million dollar check. But I think it was obviously falling on flat ears like they were losing sponsors and i think the bean counters the tour were saying listen it all sounds great to say we're going to double the purse sizes and we're going to do more designated events and we're going to fight the saudis but we're not it's not adding up to five billion here like we're not we're not able to keep up with the infinite money and it's a drop in the bucket for for them so um this is like you know if you've been watching succession this is a bear hug right they came in with with just an over-the-top amount of money that solved all the pga tours problems on paper if you were an MBA student and you just take the emotion out of it and take the names out of it and you saw this business problem you'd say well this is the no-brainer this is the way out this is the obvious solution you get rid of all the lawsuits you get a huge influx of money you keep your members and you stabilize the sport for the foreseeable future the catch is kind of at what cost now you're you know you're squarely in business with the pif and, and and saudi arabia when it comes to golf adam that's the rub isn't it in all of this if it was just
2: a straight business deal and and it was not a pro sport thing it's just another headline in the you know the business section but sport always evokes that emotion and and the emotion runs high um let me again too early i'm sure what are the possibilities though of the restructuring you mentioned the canadian the rbc canadian opens on this year or this week is there a potential that that tour, that no
3: longer gets the best golfers, that that it could become a sub-tour I, event? No, I, I think the Canadian Open is actually a good space. I think what's going to happen, so they're going to play through the rest of the live season this year. And then they've yeah. said that they're going to review live golf's business structure and see where they go from there. That's code for live is shutting down, right? So live is done by all intents and purposes. We're going to get back to traditional you know, okay. golf tournaments being held up. But what we don't have anymore is we're not stuck with this weird member organization structure with all these bylaws to pay people. So you're going to get more innovative formats. I think we're going to see more um, smaller field and Uh, maybe match play events, perhaps more team events, things that, again, you couldn't do these smaller field events. You had to have a certain size field with a cut line to satisfy the membership organization. That's really not a factor anymore. I think you're going to have more appearance based fees. Uh, I think you're certainly going to have some events in the Arab world. I mean, look like look at Formula One, look at any other sport that's gotten mm-hmm. involved. I mean, you're, there's going to be a you know some kind of Saudi Open for sure. It's going to become a bigger part of the schedule. So look for that. And they are probably going to be big purses to get out there, right? They'll probably want to make that the fifth major. Um, so there's there's that element to it. Um, but I don't think that this is actually, again, nuts and bolts. I have a feeling that in a couple years, similar to how it is in the premier league. I mean, the premier league is kind of fans have been able to create a bit of cognitive dissonance between who owns the club and how the league operates. But the premier league is, is flush with Saudi cash as well. Right. Um, and people have kind of moved past that. And I think in a couple of years, the, golf is going to be golf again and there's going to be big events and there might be a couple more in Riyadh, but beyond that, it's going to be professional golf and the majors are going to be important and there's just going to be a lot more cash. So, so let's spend a little time and and dig down on sports washing, because
2: for me, that was kind of the first time I heard it was a year ago applied in this particular case that, you know, you have a, a regime that has, you know, skeletons in the closet figuratively and literally, and, they're trying to put on a brave face by again, adapting to a North American sport or another sport and I mean we haven't even touched on what they're doing with their own soccer programs and the money they're spending there. I mean it's it's not just one sport. Morally, where are we at here? and, and I that's an individual question. It's important yeah. it's important to me, but I don't know if I'm representative. do people you know do, do people? Do people now say, Oh, I've got to make a choice. Either I'm supporting this regime who owns golf or I'm going to support Rory and, and, you know, Mickelson and all that is, is the, is there a, is there a a downside to the morality play
3: in sport? It, that it's a challenging question. I mean, sports washing has been around for a long time. You know, the FIFA world cup's a great example of it, right? they have been taking money, uh, since their inception i mean there was a world cup in the in mussolini's italy in, in the 30s right in like hit, there, in
2: olympics in, and hitler's in, germany in right? olympics
3: in hitler's germany so um sport has been a way for questionably moral figures to kind of normalize their activities kind of since the dawn of professional sport yep
2: um
3: so it's really come into focus because You know, the Saudis have in particular had a strategy and it's open strategy by them to do this, to normalize relations with them. Um, It's hard to find a sport that doesn't have some influx of it. Hard to find even a a North American business from Uber to Walmart that doesn't have some influx. So I I think that a lot of fans are able to create a bit of compartmentalization between um, live golf, which is like a Saudi league. Mm -hmm. And it feels as though you're openly doing PR for the Saudis versus the PGA tour has a business, which has some shares that are owned by the Saudis. And yeah, there's a couple of Saudi people who are, you know, investing in it and they're on the chairs of the board, but for all intents and purposes, there's a US CEO and it's still our same U S open or still our same, you know, John Deere and still our same events. I think a lot of fans are going to be pretty happy just to pretend it's not happening. Now I agree. I don't know if that is, if that is right. I don't know if that's the best thing that we should be doing. I think for me, it certainly makes um it makes me think a little bit more about exactly how things are working but but you saw formula one's growth over the last five years especially with young americans who presumably lean a little bit more left or a little bit more socially conscious and they've been able to totally overlook that and they say i love verstappen and i love lewis hamilton but that's an that entire league is really run by by the saudis right saudi aramco and they have multiple events in Azerbaijan all over the world so it is it, it is a challenge, but I, I think if I were to just put the morality aside for a second, think of it as a sports business story. I don't think that it's going to stop anybody from supporting golf or being interested in pro golf. No, and and to me, the next level of that same question is, okay,
2: that's the individual, but what about the business? What about the potential sponsor? Because we have at times seen moral issues or or societal issues that have caused – You know, uh, Canadian. I think we talked about this the first time you came on. Canadian Tire has dedicated itself to gender, even uh, its uh, sponsorship money by twenty twenty six. Is there any sense that this, there's any kind of backlash coming from sponsors or cable
3: or cable providers, but broadcasters or anything like that? It it's a it's a it's a good question. I don't think that there will be backlash to this from that perspective. There's enough kind of complication to it. I mean, the example that a lot of people use is right now in, in North America and in most of the Western world, it's June. It's Pride Month. I mean, I see that you have you know, the, the tape yep. on your microphone and yep. you'll see a lot of companies in, across North America and in Europe change their you know, brand identity and logos to a rainbow color flag. If you go onto Mercedes website here, you're going to see some messaging about LGBTQ and about Pride Month. But if you go on to Mercedes Middle East, you're not going to see any of that, no. right? No. So no. I think that corporations will have their cake and eat it too on it um and i think that most fans will as well okay so let's continue down that what about the broadcast
2: implications you mentioned that all of the contracts will be absorbed uh i think the last time you were on we were kind of you know talking how poorly the live draws on cw it's not a great tv deal that's not something they've been able to capture but that's something the pga has
3: yeah. I mean, PGA just locked up their, their media rights, right. Their TV rights are, are locked up with CBS and with, uh, with NBC or with, uh, uh, with ESPN, sorry. Um, so, I, I mean, again, like, I think this is going to be great for TV, to be honest. It's going to be good for for the league. Um, all of a sudden, you get Dustin Johnson and Cam Smith back in the mix. You no longer have this kind of negative narrative about a, a challenger league, as you you know were referring back to when yeah. the NHL had a challenger league. I mean, yeah. it's not – the World Hockey – So it's not good for anyone, right? It's not good for anyone to have this kind of distraction league on the side. So – I think that this is actually a win. I think the broadcasters are going to be quite happy. This makes CBS's job much easier. We are the home of golf now. We have all the biggest events. Um I think it makes the tours job a lot easier. Now we have this symbiotic relationship with the LPGA or not the LPGA, the DP World Tour and mm-hmm. PGA Tour now. We're all in the same boat. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if part of the make goods here are that uh, big players, important players are going to start getting shares in this new private corporation. I mean, sky's kind of the limit of how you can structure the business now. It's no longer this easy. We have rights. We sell you the rights. There's going to be more business doing Perhaps in the future, someone like Amazon comes in and wants to have the broadcast for golf. Well, OK, well, if you want to have the broadcast rights for golf, you pay us a broadcast fee. Also, you have to fork over a $100 million or $500 million investment into our X golf entity, whatever it's going to be called. I'm sure it'll have a terrible name like Golf Group LLC or something like that. But yeah. it'll be, you know, th- this is now just another lever for them to pull in terms of the corporate structure.
2: So uh, the Netflix show that is going on right now that, that the PGA launched,
3: Is there any chance this is going to be part of that? Oh, absolutely. So Chad Munn, who is the director of it, he's the showrunner for it. He's been tweeting out this week. He said, trust me, cameras are rolling. The Netflix cameras are in Toronto. As we speak, they have been rolling all season. The season two was greenlit already. Um, Were they in that players only meeting? God? I hope so. I really hope they were. Can you Um, imagine? But by all accounts, there's going to be some absolutely incredible, this is the thing. This is actually going to be great theater come this time next year when full swings coming out and we're talking about it. It's honestly one of the best things for golf from that perspective. So yeah, we're, we're going to see full swing season two, and it's going to have um, uh, by, by all accounts, some great behind the scenes footage of, of the news breaking. And again, like, These players didn't know. I mean, Rory mentioned that he heard an hour before, but 99% of players you had, you know, people like Colin Morikawa and Justin Thomas coming out on Twitter and saying, I found out like the rest of you on Twitter. Like I just saw a tweet. So it really was surprising breaking news for everyone involved and no one was consulted. Well, and, and,
2: uh, you know, talk about the competition a little bit, but I Mm -hmm. I just happened to be listening to Overdrive in uh, TSN in Toronto and the radio and they were at the RBC Open and they were kind of, going minute by minute and one point Monahan was doing a zoom call and he was in toronto
3: and uh, just the day itself will lend for a movie a book somewhere yeah absolutely i mean there i'm sure there are already some books being optioned and the netflix series will be great but um you know this happened 24 hours ago we are still very much trying to <laughs> figure out exactly yeah. what this shakes out like i i still think rob i'd say that we're we're not over the finish line yet. I know it feels that way, like it's over and done yeah. with, but yeah. there might be some fan dangling with the DOJ and antitrust. I think there might really be a challenge here because it's hard to look at this and not say that uh, one company, this Golf LLC, whatever it's going to be, that's going to be majority owned by the PIF, owns all of Golf. Like I just don't know how you can say anything otherwise than Golf's been taken private by the Saudis.
2: Yeah. Well, to that point, though. You know, you say twenty-four hours, but that's our attention span, right? That's the news cycle. No, it's good. That story's over. They're they're done. They're moving. I do want to go back to the first thing you said, which is yeah. nobody saw this coming. How did they accomplish that? How how does this not some
3: fragrance of this leak out? Monahan mentioned that he had two other execs with him on negotiating team. A few people from. Uh, the PIF side. So uh, I actually am quite astonished. I mean, nothing gets, nothing gets as far over a line with it. Some leaking, even strategically leaking things in order to, you know, get a pulse on it. Um, which partially is why I think this was so buttoned up because Monahan must have known that this is going to a he, he's going a full about face here. Right? It's going to make him look awful. Um, so he needed to make sure he had a deal done before anybody heard about it. Yeah. Um, and, but again, like it's, it's, it's shocking that this gets done with no one hearing about it. And again, a little confusing because the PGA tour is as member organization. So, you know, technically the PGA tour players, and there's a board within their policy advisor board, I think it's called needs to approve this transaction as well. So mm-hmm. again, like we aren't actually over the finish line, despite how it was presented uh with the press conference yesterday.
2: So, so one last one on, um, on hand, and then I want to move to some other, Jason stories, but can you explain his authority? Who does he report to, or is he kind of Roger Goodell like? Is he Gary Bettman like? Where? How do we explain his
3: existence? Yeah, I mean, he. So he he's the commissioner of the PGA Tour now. He's going to be the CEO of this new Gulf LLC corp. Um, so he he reports to the players, and during this whole PGA Tour, you know, lawsuit situation and back and forth, a lot of the players were. Uh, rightfully a little frustrated. They're saying, Hey, the, the, the tour management, the executives there don't tell us anything. We have no say. And Monaghan would say, well, what are you talking about? It's a member organization. You guys have a vote on everything, but you know, he was kind of the CEO of golf, the commissioner of golf, but unlike serving the owners, there were no owners. So really he served the membership of the PGA, right? So anybody who was a PGA tour card holder, Um, you know, voted on his powers on on a term. I think he was on a five-year term, so similar to a lot of uh, CEOs or or public sector employees uh, in in executive positions. So that was kind of his authority. To me, it's a great question in terms of, does he actually have the ability to do this deal without sign-off? The the answer is no. The, The members have to actually approve this. But, you know, I'm sure in the Players Only meeting, and as it's been revealed over the last two days, the narrative is that, listen, we don't have any other option. We're paying 30 to 50 million in legal fees fighting these guys. They told Mm -hmm. us they're going to fight us forever. Mm -hmm. We're having sponsors say they can't pony up double the amount of money in order to cover the increased purses that we promised you. Plus this, this deal is an influx of money and everyone's a winner. Everyone's going to get paid and problems are solved. I mean, you guys, as the members were paying those legal fees, right? Mm -hmm. You're paying into those legal fees. So, um, I think you're going to have the player side off on of this. they are going to be some griping about where I get my bonus from and why am I not getting paid my live money? I bet you there'll be some people who do get paid their live money um, and they're going to get some portion of it. But at the end of the day, I, I can't see the members turning this down.
2: Um, one of the the parts of the, I guess, the last 12 months that I never paid close enough attention to, so I'm hoping you did. How does this now impact um, golf equipment, um, sponsorship, who was frozen out of whom, and who may have merged with whom? Is is there ramifications in
3: that industry? Um, I think there probably will be. I think in the short, I mean, listen, there's a lot of all these different topics. The golf's been crazy the last couple of years. I mean, there was a whole mm-hmm. push from the USGA about rolling the ball back that received a whole bunch of pushback, if you can recall. And there was amateur golf talk about. The OEMs, the official equipment manufacturers, and what they were going to do in terms of having a split stream of having a professional grade of club versus a non-professional. Or are they going to roll the driver back? Um, and then can they sponsor live athletes? You know, you saw DJ. Yep. He had a big deal with Adidas and RBC. Those deals got canceled. To those deals essentially get re-signed in the future? Probably if he's back on. So uh, again, I think if I was sitting in Mizuno or Titleist's office and I saw this news, I would have said this is quite surprising and crazy, but quietly celebrated to myself. I said, this makes my job a lot easier. Now you just tell me who I need to cut a check to for sponsorship. I can work freely with any athletes I need to. Uh, actually, it might make things even easier because now I'm doing a deal with Golf Group LLC instead of doing a deal over here with PGA, DP World Tour, Saudi Aramco Series, whatever's going on in Asia. You can now just kind of have one central home for golf. This is This could be one of
2: the biggest rebrandings in the history of sport, couldn't it? Yeah, but I don't think we're going to lose the
3: brand. I think PGA Tour is still going to be. No, I think we're still going to have... I think the DP World Tour is still going to exist. It might change sponsor names at some point. It might become the Aramco Series, to be honest. Um, We're still going to have the PGA Tour. I think in a couple of years, you're still going to have the John Deere Classic. You're still going to have... Canadian, the rbc canadian open well i thought that i yeah. i just didn't yeah. know if the, it would and be i still the think PGA you're gonna have, or... yeah i think you're still gonna have the perfect oh, okay. the pga tours the premier league and you're okay. gonna have a european tour league and you're maybe you're gonna still have an asian tour or, or an Easter eastern tour of some kind that gets formed will the sponsor names change perhaps um but i think that you know for continuity's sake uh, the sports washing works best if you make sure to keep the top line brands the same, right? So I don't think you, you know, when you when you come in and buy Newcastle, you don't change the name of Newcastle. You just make sure you own yeah. it, and you can do the business deals in the background. Okay.
2: So I apologize, I misunderstood yeah. you. I thought that it was going to have yeah. a whole new name, which it then would be the biggest rebranding
3: in sport. <laughs> then it then it truly would be behind the scenes. Yeah. There's going to be someone underwriting the checks with a new numbered company name or, yeah. or golf group LLC for sure. But gotcha. outward facing consumer facing, you're still going to be looking at the same old PGA two or the same silhouette.
2: So two more for you, both of them are ticklish. Um, you mentioned the LPGA earlier, the LPGA and the PGA, as we know, are not the same. They're different. They're completely different. Um, You have a a kind of an awakening in in Western culture, North America, about women's sports and equity that is not shared in in, by the Saudi regime. Um, Is there is there going to be external pressure from broadcast from sponsors or will the Saudis themselves just see? It seems to
3: me the benefit here would be to bring them into the house, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think you probably will, and it's been complicated with women's golf because they have had this relationship with with Aramco. There's been the Aramco series in the LPGA, and um, some female players have spoken out about against you know Saudi Arabia and Aramco, and uh, you know they, they've they've also rightfully said that it's a big chunk of money and that the women don't have the opportunity to play for nearly the amount of money that men do. And, you know, who are you to tell us that we can't go and try to get a big paycheck from golf. So um, there's been kind of a pinching your nose and, and swallowing it with a lot of the LPGA stuff. I think that again, this structure is going to make it easier for everyone to essentially, you're going to move the, the Saudi of it all into the background where they own the business dealings, but they're not going to be out front facing as much. You're probably going to see a Ramco around, but beyond a Ramco as a brand, you're not going to see. I don't think a lot of the the Saudi influence on on uh, on the actual courses or on the actual athletes. Um, and I think what could very well happen here is the LPGA could become part of this corporate structure, become part of this kind of global golf entity. You're still going to have the LPGA tour, but now all of a sudden you can start pooling together the TV rights. So one of the things that used to happen is there'd be you know, the PGA Tour and the LPGA were doing some negotiating together on TV rights to help each other. Well, now your business can also be kind of you know, sharing on the back end from a profit share perspective. So again, this this actually could be really great for the LPGA. I think you could see a lot more elevation. You could see more cross-pollination. I mean, a lot of golf fans, myself included, have, have mm-hmm. called for why isn't there a mixed team event that happens every year that's a big event? I think it would be a, an enormous draw. And I think that you could see that happen now because golf has just gotten really flat. I, well...
2: Think of where you're at right now you don't think the rbc canadian open with brooke henderson's participation in, it in some because we saw that with annika sorenstrom what yeah two decades ago right kind of yep. t- kicking the tires michelle we kicking the tires a little bit there we we should get to that point at some point some mixed event
3: yeah and they, and they have their they have their team event the solheim cup i think it's called which is yep. similar to the Ryder cup yeah i mean could you create a net new you know gender neutral cup that has okay each team you got to have 10 female 10 male players uh maybe by country maybe by sponsor maybe by region all of a sudden it, it opens up a lot of possibility i mean getting rid of this you know public entity side of golf means that is the limit and that the team element of of live which is the one thing that people thought was kind of interesting Right? The one thing that people thought was kind of interesting was that it wasn't just a 72-hole stroke play event. Mm-hmm. Well, now all of a sudden, you can start experimenting with formats like that. And I think you're going to start seeing some, some interesting innovation in golf where not every week is a cut line, 150 players, and 72-hole event.
2: My, my last one for you, and, and I hope you appreciate where it comes from. We've already established I'm far more emotional than you are. You're far more uh, analytical than I am. But I, it's hard for me not to look at this look at Elon Musk buying Twitter, look at just, you know, the Ottawa senators going for a billion dollars. It just feels like that, you know, the root of all of this in a capitalist society comes back to dollars and money. And it's uh, that you can solve anything, like anything you want to solve. You don't like what's being said Buy the company, you you, you know, you want to change everybody's perception of you, buy a sport, is this good? Is this healthy? Are we okay with this? Is this just the natural evolution of society? And we'll talk about this
3: in our history books. Like we talk about the, you know, the industrial revolution. Well, I mean, that's an interesting question, Rob, but I think like money can kind of buy a lot of things in today's world. I do think pro sport has been more and more revealing themselves to be a for-profit money-driven enterprise, just kind of dressed up as an emotional you know, you know, we support the team and it's a local endeavor where in reality it's become more and more of a, you know, you get private equity groups involved with ownership of multiple teams and competitive cities. I mean, the idea that the same person owns two different, you know, sports teams in two different cities that are kind of rivals from each other. Think about like Redbird Capital, the Pittsburgh and Fenway Group and all those. Right. That, that does kind of make you feel a little bit, I don't know if I want to say dirty, but just a little bit, it does kind of suck some of the uh, imagination out of what you'd like to think pro sport is all about. Um, the, the one kind of maybe glimmer of hope is or, or at least story today that maybe it doesn't always just come down to dollars and cents was was Messi allegedly turning down more money from the Saudis uh, to sign with Inter Miami and MLS today. Now, is that because he's an altruistic guy, doesn't like doing business with the Saudis? I highly doubt that. He's done appearances with them in the past. He's going to be paid lots of money. But you can't necessarily buy something. There is something to be said about, you know... Uh, maybe he wanted to live in the United States and he wanted to have, you know, that kind of impact on the world. He wanted to play on the biggest stage in front of the biggest audience he could. And that wasn't going to be in the Saudi league. That was going to be, you know, in North America and in in a U.S. market. So uh, although obviously smaller soccer audience than PSG or Barca, but I think a a new audience and uh, it'd be interesting to hear from him, what he thinks about that, how he thinks about, okay, why didn't you take the most money? I mean, listen, there's a lot of things to be said about Rory and tiger, who turned down these enormous sums of money because they, you know, believed in the history of the PGA tour. Absolutely. So there are still some people out there who believe in, in that kind of history of sport. Um, and I do think that this, you know, we might get to a tipping point here. I, I will say like credit, and this is hard to say, but credit to the NFL, the NFL has said we don't want corporations owning our teams. They always say that they want private individuals wealthy individuals or families to own their teams because they don't want someone just counting with dollars and cents they want someone who cares about the city and cares about the team winning and they feel as though you need a a personal owner to do that um here in toronto i don't think the ontario teachers pension plan was a very loved ownership group that's the most faceless owner you can have and yeah it Rogers and Bell now for all intents and purposes, along with Larry Tannenbaum, not necessarily any better, but um, I think it might make some people think twice about, is it all about getting the highest dollar value for your sporting endeavor? Or is there some kind of soul that is lost when you kind of make it a faceless nameless organization? I, I just, I,
2: I, I always struggled with this idea that live and they even said it yesterday.
3: This is about growing the game. This is about, <laughs> That, yeah, that, that would, that's the biggest, yeah, that was the biggest con ever. Anybody who kind of bought into the, we want to do, you know, their, their tag on golf, but louder, you know, we want to grow the game, we want to challenge the norms. They're going to wear shorts, you know, it's a team thing. Like, that's all nonsense. What it was all about was that the Saudis wanted to do business in, in North America. They yep. thought golf was a good way to do it. Greg Norman teed it up for them. Yep. They paid Phil. They paid these guys a drop in the bucket for them, but a lifetime of money for the other for those players. Um, and they won. They got their way into golf now. And now, you know, you're going to see, you know, Saudi Arabia involved in golf for the foreseeable future.
2: Before I let you go, what are you keeping your eyes on? What's what? What's I mean, this is obviously a huge story, and I appreciate you jumping on. But what else is going on out there right now
3: that's got you? attention oh i mean listen interesting news story you know from this week goes back to our rsn conversation um mm-hmm. the la kings you know they have yep. they don't have a regional sports broadcast partner for next nhl season that's a big market they won the cup recently it's, it's los angeles they had gretzky they don't have a regional broadcaster because of the tumultuous nature of the regional broadcast business right now and they just let go a, a, a well-loved play-by-play uh, announcer. yeah Exactly. And um, I don't think that they're going to be alone. I think we have a serious problem on our hands in terms of local broadcast rights. And I think that um, sports leagues should be a little careful about getting the most dollar value for your league by slicing and dicing it too many different ways. I still think that sports should be as much as possible In front of a paywall, it should be free. It should be as easy as possible for people to find your game. From the history of sports, from horse racing and boxing and baseball on the radio, it was always free to get on the radio and listen to it. Broadcast TV, you grab the rabbit ears and it's free. It was supported by ticket sales and advertisement, and it's great to get money from Apple or Amazon or as many different cable networks as you can. But at some point, the fans just say, "I don't give a crap," and I I worry that that's going to happen to. Teams like the LA Kings were what are the LA Kings, the 10th most important team in, in California? Maybe you know, you have oh, in California, yeah, in the, in the yeah. state of California, maybe yeah. the 10th most important. I mean, no offense to the LA Kings no. and no offense to hockey yeah. fans, but you got a lot of NFL teams and you got baseball teams and basketball, like you got a lot of teams out there. So, yeah. if you make it hard to find Kings games. Do you Maybe just the Kings aren't cool anymore. Maybe hockey suffers. And I think that smaller markets um, and non-Canadian NHL markets are going to have a real hard time. You got to find a way to get people to your game. I think getting on broadcast TV and making it free for people is a good way to do that or free over the internet. I think finding a way to get in front of a paywall online is important and find a way to make the money back elsewhere. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that story up because I saw it, too. And, you know, where my mind went
2: is that give now Sportsnet.
4: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
0: And with Burrow you always get fast free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com/acast. That's
1: burrow.com/acast. burrow.com/acast. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too.
2: to eliminate the radio crews and just do simulcasts
3: because yeah. you can point to that as it's happening in the industry. It's not the same. It's not the it, same. It's certainly not the same, but yes, they, they merged the radio, and the TV, right? It's all one big thing now. And, uh, I, I don't know if that's going to happen here. I mean, I hope it doesn't. And I hope that sports still becomes kind of the, it's really the last remaining monoculture when we have uh, yep. in, in on broadcast. I mean, when it comes to, we are looking at, you know, uh, working in our office talking about some of the biggest broadcast events that have happened. And you look at, you know, the season or series finale of Seinfeld or Friends or MASH, you know, MASH, 100 plus million. Cheers, 70 million viewers. Friends and Seinfeld, 50 or 60 million viewers each. Um, The only thing that gets even close to those now is sport, right? And Super Bowl does really good. But also, you know, other big sport events are the only thing that draw everyone together are a common water cooler topic. And I do think that that is a, uh, a thing you don't want to lose if you're sports. Do you, would you, you know, if you're doing a scripted television show, would you prefer a few hundred thousand really hardcore fans that pay you to watch the show? Maybe. Maybe that's what you want if you're mm-hmm. you know, a niche scripted television show about a very specific topic. that there's only a couple hundred thousand fans for. But I think sports is built and made to be for the masses. It's so that Hockey Night in Canada we watched with a six-year-old or with a 60-year-old or with a hundred-year-old all sitting there in the same room together. And I do think that, uh, that if you make it more to for people to find your sport or find sport in general, it, it's going to lose its place in the monoculture.
2: You are the best, Adam. Thank you for this. I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Like I said, I, the, the story itself is is juicy. It's just yeah, yeah. It listen, it not come I, along
3: like this. It's it will not be going anywhere either. I think you're going to hear more about it. And uh, it's interesting that Canadian Open was the uh, the backdrop mm. both this time last year when the shoe really dropped with Monahan on TV, and and here we are again with Monahan at Oakdale uh, Golf and Country. It's crazy.
2: Thank you, sir. We'll talk soon. Thanks, a lot, Rob. Adam Seaborn, uh, sports business analyst for the Nation Network and from Playmaker Capital. Uh, kind enough to join us. I don't know what I would say in podcast terms as short notice, um, and I appreciate it. Uh, brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years, 1946, if you're looking for the to be exact, 1946, they opened their first doors, set of doors at their first store here in Calgary. They now have four locations. Only one, though, is open right now, and that's McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. For the summer, for the summer, the other three will open up when the snow comes in the fall. Uh, so make sure you check them out. Uh, we are live in the Oodle Noodles Studio. We bring the heat: butter chicken, mac cheese, kung pao noodles, Bangkok pad thai, oh, classic. Oof. Vegetarian, gluten-free options. Two locations in Calgary and area. Um, one is in Airdrie, 105 Main Street North. The other one is 1244 17th Avenue Southwest here in Calgary. Both offer pickup and delivery. Uh, we will turn our attention to basketball in just a couple of moments. Uh, get you caught up on a couple of things. Uh, home opener for the Calgary Stampeders tomorrow. The CFL kicks off. Do we have CFL news to announce? Not yet? Not yet? Not yet.
0: Okay. Okay. I know you're...
2: I'm itching. <laughs> yeah. I'm itching. When, when I can, let me know. We'll, we'll announce it. Thanks, Jack. Um, The NHL, by the way, will not be playing tonight. They've chosen to wait till tomorrow. Uh, It is Vegas leading Florida, two games to none. Um, It hasn't, uh, if if you're worried about the score, the scores haven't been close. Uh, The games haven't been terribly entertaining. Uh, But lots of 10-minute misconducts. So if you're into that, this is the series for you. Uh, We did have a three-way trade in the old National Hockey League yesterday. Columbus, Philadelphia, and the Kings. Uh, Provorov ends up with Columbus, so the Blue Jackets speeding up the rebuild, I suppose. Uh, And the only other thing that I did want to mention is, and we will probably talk some uh, Blue Jays here in the coming weeks, I would suspect. Um, Houston and Toronto currently playing uh, a set in a series in Toronto, but Alex Manoa was assigned uh, to uh, single A complex Dunedin's complex so um he has uh he who came into the season expected to be the the ace expected to be the number one guy um uh, has struggled mightily um as a matter of fact uh that's even really being fa- not, you know that's not even being fair uh it's just falling off it's is it Rick Ankeel like almost or Rich Ankeel uh it's almost like that a couple of decades ago So we will watch that one, uh, with great interest. And again, the, the live story did want to say a little bit about this because I get it. Like I kind of, you know, watch what's going on on the streams and stuff like that. And, um, I got my own answer. Like, do people care about sports washing? Some me, but most don't. I, I, again, I brought it up. You lose, as soon as you bring up sport, we're going to talk about sports washing now. No, 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 don't care. And I guess that's fine. That's, it's a consumer thing. I mean, you, you, you watch what you want to watch, you enjoy what you want to enjoy. Um, you're the one that has to answer any kind of questions about it. Um, you, you saw a lot of that yesterday with this particular topic, like, you know, a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of things have been said about, you know, the Saudis and, and then other people came out and said, yeah, but, Aren't you going to be mad at the other business? I I read the state of Arizona has signed over their water rights to Saudi Arabia. So there's bigger stories than sports that involve the Saudis and our friends to the south and the rest of the world. But it's that whole idea of you know more morality in sport. There is no morality in professional sport, is there? I mean we saw that I, I, the hypocrisy, absolute hypocrisy of Monaghan, but understand his job. What, what is Jay Monaghan's job to keep the PGA alive, to make it work, to pay the players. He did that yesterday. Um, you know, I was saying to Jack off the air, uh, pretty big golden handshake coming for this guy. He he's not going to retire and and have to live on food stamps. Jay Monahan will be okay. So much so that they could probably hire somebody to to care about, his hypocrisy. He doesn't have to bother. He'll hire somebody to do that. Um, but we are losing something in all of this. And I know that that's a, uh, for some in our audience, a socialist take, a communist take or whatever. Um, we're all supposed to love money and, and who doesn't love money? Well, clearly, you know, some of us, you know, just the way we dress. Um, having said that, uh, it is overwhelming how much money has involved every part of sport. Um, the food and beverage prices, ticket prices, the, uh, you know, what, what's a bargain any, you know, I can look through this camera right now and I can tell I'm talking to a half dozen, dozen parents who have their kids in spring hockey and, you know, strolled into their local, um, equipment store and, and seen skates for $1,200, uh, seen sticks for $600 and that sort of thing it's it's hard it's hard to disconnect the dollar figures and the dollars from the sports the sports we love the sports we play the sports we want to follow um it's sometimes it's overwhelming and and one of those days was definitely yesterday um but a big story It caught everybody flat this just the the reaction to the reaction has been kind of fun in this one you don't normally get that um I, I don't know which days stand out for you. This reminded me a little bit, certainly a bigger story, but it reminded me of the day that uh, uh, that they made the two trades in the big free agent signing. When uh, Stamkos went into free agency, came back, and he signed with Tampa, and uh, Subban got traded for um, Weber, and you know, and then there was another big deal. I think, was that Taylor Hall got traded that day to Jersey? Is that right? Yes, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Adam Larson, Taylor Hall, yeah, 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 that's right. So that day I'll never forget. Except I have to ask you if I remembered it correctly. But for the most part, I remember it. Um, yeah, it's just one of those days that's going to stand out in the in the calendar for you. Is where were you when? Uh, where were you when the golf world changed? And it's it is hard today to wrap your head around that the end game in this might be that a political arm of a government in the Middle East will own the game of golf. Um fascinating. Absolutely, absolutely fascinating. Uh coming up on Friday, Darren Haynes is going to join us. I mentioned the uh CFL game. Uh Darren will uh, have worked the game the night before and then is going to um join us. <laughs> I believe I need some help over here, Jack. Um, I think the surge are trying to get a hold of us here. Okay. So uh we need to resend the coach the link. <laughs> so Uh, we'll get, that's again, when I get involved in the chain, that, that can be an issue. So we'll get, we'll get Nelson, the coach, uh, the link, I should say, we'll get Nelson the link. He's the coach. Um, yes. Okay. We got that. All right. We're covered. (laughs) Ah, this is when you throw to a commercial break and you play a few records, but we're not going to do that. Uh, Darren Haynes will be at the game tomorrow night and he's also got some thoughts on the flame. So we'll talk to him, uh, Monday, Wednesday, next week, uh, guest host, Danny Austin in, uh, Danny Austin. I, I've got some stuff that I'm going to do with friends. I didn't say that earlier. So I'm going to say it now. I got some stuff I'm going to do with some friends. Uh, so Monday, Wednesday, next week, Danny Austin, and then the next Friday, uh, next Friday as uh, we, we've got our guest, We're good. Uh, next Friday, uh, both Peter Marr and Eric to on the same show. So lock up lock up everything. I mean, just batting down the hatches. All hell may break loose there. All right. Uh mm-hmm. our next guest brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary as we mentioned. Currently the the summer location, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center. Before we bring on our next guest, uh, I want to play a little clip. I saw this on the weekend. As I said, full disclosure, I'm I'm working on some community initiatives for the surge. So I had really nothing to do on the basketball side of the basketball operation side. So um, I love this clip. Uh, can we play this clip before we bring our guests on, please? You guys
4: know that my job
0: as a coach is to be a completely crazy every day in practice and a calmest during the game. During the practice, the players never feel the urgency of the game, and during the during the game, the players never remember the importance of practice.
4: I want to change that for you. I want you to respect practice, respect it the way, because it gets you ready for the game, respect it, like, damn, I'm so glad we put in that situation.
2: Love that clip, it gives me a little bit of insight in our next guest, Nelson Taroba, the uh, head coach of the Calgary Surge, 3-1 Calgary Surge, who will host the Ottawa Blackjacks on Friday at Winsport joins us, coach, how are you?
4: Rob, thank you for having me today. Sorry for the little delay here, but I appreciate you having me. And I'm here coming to you from MNP, the home, the training home of the Surge. We're very excited about being here at MNP. And what do you think of MNP? Fantastic. You know, this is, uh, we were one of the big worries for us and big concerns was trying to find a great practice facility for our guys. Uh, This place is amazing. I'm sure everyone here in in the city knows about it. It was new to me, but we've got a great access to the gym here. The people here are taking care of us, and uh, we really appreciate it.
2: I like the natural light. I mean, I'm a little weird yeah. that way. It's nice to have some light, isn't it?
4: For sure. And and, and the place is it's pretty really impressive. I mean, huge, huge place. And I'm sure, again, I'm sure everyone in Calgary knows about it. But uh, it's one of the most amazing complexes I've been into in terms of just you see the light behind us and the tent. But we've got the the private gym in the back. So we're, we're, we're very fortunate to be here.
2: Um, I, I played the clip. Uh, as I said, I, I haven't had a chance to watch it practice. I'm only watching on the sidelines. But it was... Uh, it was interesting for me cause it gives a little insight and that's what I really want to talk to you about. This is not like regular coaching. This is not an eight, nine month season. This is a short season. Hell, you haven't even, it's not a month since you met these guys and you've already played four games. Um, yeah. What is that like from your standpoint? What are the keys I guess for you to get off to a good start and to get everybody on the same page?
4: Well, I think the keys are, number one, that we we start building our language, our shared language, right? Uh, How do we we catalog things on defense? How do we catalog things on offense? Um, How do we speak the same language as the first order of operations? And then the second thing is just getting them to understand our system. In addition to the certain system of talk, there's our system of defensive coverages and our system of offense and how we kind of keep our flow going. So it's really about systems uh, introduction and implementation is the big key right now.
2: But that ha- that is that are you really introducing that to two teams, your players and your coaches?
4: <laughs> yeah, we are this year. Uh, but the coaches have been amazing. Uh, our coaching staff is fantastic. Uh, we got uh, you know, Will Rooney's our lead assistant. He's got great experience in the CEBL. Won a championship last year in, in the league as an assistant. Um, and, you know Kyle Landry is here at UFC. Uh, great, great assistant coach. He's the lead coach there. Pharrell Murray, I've known for years, and he's one of our assistants. And we got a bunch of other ones that are helping us out as far as video um, and everything else. But our, our staff's been amazing.
2: What about that language for the players? Will they know bits and pieces of it? Is it unique to you and your staff? How much of a a learning curve is that for a new player coming in for you, which all of these are, really?
4: Yeah, I think sometimes people call it the same thing, but, or, you know, same action, they call it different. So a lot of the same patterns are going to be there in terms of, you know, these guys are exposed to some of the same concepts, but maybe we call it something different. Um, so there's a learning curve there. But um, beyond that, you know, there's just no way around it. You know, you kind of have to kind of keep drilling it in. I even today was, was a good practice for us. Uh, spoke to a couple guys afterwards, and I think they're starting to see how all the dots fit together sort of finally, you know, but there's still work to do. But like, it takes about two, three weeks of, you know, implementation. Now let's see the video. Let's see what we learn, And then they just start connecting the dots more quickly. And I think we're, we're at that stage right now.
2: With a compacted schedule, are you kind of limited in the amount of time that you can use to, before you can introduc- introduce twists and, and new, or do you still follow that, you know, it's got to be a couple of games or a, a week or something. What's the timeline duty in all of this when you're teaching?
4: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think for me, it kind of has to be different for every team you coach, right? So I came in with a, just like a classroom teacher, which I was for 10 years, I came in with kind of an idea for what the curriculum is going to be and what the outline is going to be. But then you got to see where the students are and you got to see where where the players are. And then you just kind of have to adjust some things like our spacing, our starting points, our defensive talk, our coverages, those things are non-negotiable, but we just if we haven't mastered the, the foundational pieces on offense and defense, it's we kind of have to double down on them. I may have wanted to go a little faster on some things, but right now, I'm seeing you know we need to really hone in on those basics, get that right, and then we can start adding the layers.
2: What 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 does it do when you don't have preseason games? How does that change your preparation? How does that change your approach? Well, we on
4: purpose you know did obviously an inter squad scrimmage and training camp. We played against some area. Uh, you know, university players and, and, and you know, we got a, a, a decent look before we, we played against uh, our first opponent, Edmonton. Um, but every team in this league right now is basically learning on the fly. You know, in these first three to five games, you're, you're really learning on the fly. And this league is, is kind of that way. Uh, there's still a lot to learn. But now as we get into our stretch, we have a very busy stretch coming up. A lot of games. So we'll be learning through Video, we learn it through walkthrough, you know, not as much full practice. So like this week's practices have been pretty important because they're kind of the first full practices we'll have for a long time. because so we're going to be in a big stretch.
2: Tell me about the the player, not anyone in particular, but the player you get in this league. What is their motivation? What are you dealing with on day one?
4: Uh, everyone's different, you know, so I think, you know, you have some players who are we're in the G League, um, they are trying to, some are trying to just stay in shape, stay in good, sh- good sharp form, They're competing, they like to compete, they're getting a little bit of extra money in their pockets, they're also marketing themselves potentially for European jobs or overseas jobs, because this is a league that plays with FIBA rules, so that allows them to kind of open up an avenue towards maybe a new market. Sometimes the Canadian players are probably trying to maybe do the opposite. Maybe they're trying to open up an avenue to the G League and maybe more to the U.S. market and trying to put their their body, their their selves in front of eyes that are watching U.S. players that are playing in G League. And they say, you know, this guy plays really good against guys we know. So then they get a chance to move up in their different markets as well.
2: I've never asked a coach this. Do you get a player coming in and going, hey, coach, can you help me with? X, Y, and Z. That's what my last team wanted me to work on this summer. That's where they wanted to see the improvement. Do you inherit some work for these players?
4: Yeah, you always inherit the work of whatever, you know, whatever needs work, I guess. Um, And so I think it's different for different guys. Like for instance, our guys, they got to learn, you know, again, our system, we've got very capable guys, very good players. But sometimes when they're hearing, you know, new terminology, new concepts, you know, you get a little bit of paralysis by analysis, right? Because mm. they're second guessing. Like, wait, I, I just, you know, I usually just play through the situation. And once they learn, like, oh, it's all the same, they start, they start kind of connecting those dots. And then, lastly, what we'll do is, you know, we start seeing where the areas are that we keep seeing patterns of um, shortcomings, if you will. And then we, we can kind of dial into those areas with film and, and some extra work before practice.
2: Nelson, I'd like to tap in a little bit on, on your, you know, your day job or your winter job in the G league and ask you this question about the players. Cause I'm fascinated by the athlete, the modern athlete compared to the, we've heard a lot about, you know, wokeness and, you know, they don't go through the wall the way they used to, how, how do you deal with or How do you approach young athletes now? Or what do you see from them?
4: You know, th- th- this is the same thing. You know, like when people say, you know, kids aren't the way they used to or used to be, and young people are different. You know, I think the one that I kind of lean more towards is is I think maybe the adults and the leaders and the parents, and you know, maybe we're not the same as we used to receive. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um And and what I mean by that, not to you know slander anybody, particularly, I think that that uh, you know the standard bearers need to be the standard bearers, right? So if I if I'm we had a talk yesterday after practice, you know, I got on a couple of players about a couple of things. And, you know, I, I told them, like, listen, there's, you know, I have a choice to make on a daily basis. I feel a responsibility to tell you the truth, because if I don't tell you the truth about what I see and it's something that's going to limit your game and your future. And I feel like I'm complicit in a crime that that that, that I had a choice to either opt into solving or, or to avoid responsibility and, and, and opt out. So. You know, it starts with me. I, you know, we haven't had any problems with any of our players at all. Um, I think the big, the big thing is that you have to tell them the truth. You have, they have to know that you really, they have to feel somewhere deep down inside. And I tell them this: you know, you don't know me well enough to know that I've earned the trust. That 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 I do care about you and your future. I hope I can continue to earn that over the course of the next, you know, month and a half. But you'll you'll see over time that what I'm doing and why I'm doing it is only based on the care for you and your future and your game and your development. And if they can feel that and you're consistent with it, with everybody, even the best players, the players who don't play as much, and they feel that, then I think you get a lot more buy-in because they understand that you're just trying to help them.
2: So, so two things that come out of that. One, do you deliver the truth the same way as the truth was delivered to you as a player? Or has that evolved?
4: (laughs) No. (laughs) I deliver the truth differently than I was administered the truth. Uh, But it doesn't mean that the way I have to deliver truth is worse. Uh, The way I have to deliver truth in today's age is not a bad way. It means I have to use evidence. I have to be accurate. I have to show them what I want and not just demand that they do better. I have to give them specific prescriptive, you know, feedback. That's not just, that's not good enough, you know, because today's, human not just young people but today's human is more educated and more critical thinker there's nothing wrong with that we want critical thinkers so if we if we need if we want to kind of reach and connect with a critical thinker whether they're adult young or older we have to approach them with a reasonableness and with a good sense of what makes sense and showing them what we mean and why it's going to benefit them and not that it's just something that we want for our own power trips you know what i mean
2: we, we've talked a little bit about the the compacted schedule. we talked a little bit about your coaching staff. Do you delegate the kind of the human component of this to your assistants? I mean, it's long. My belief is you, you have to have any success. You have to relate to them as human beings. You need to know what motivates them. In this situation, Nelson, are you the guy that gets to know all the players or is that a delegation amongst your staff?
4: No, we all we all do. You know, I mean, I can't just outsource, you know, human, you know, humanity, right? I can't outsource relationships. Um, what I think that's, you know, on that note, Robert, I think it's a good question is, you know, I think I heard, uh, one of the national telecasts, you know, the, 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 broadcasters told me what the players say that, that, uh, you, you know, you're in general, you're a player's coach, uh, that you, you know, you let them do what they need to on offense, as long as they do what they do, they do what they're supposed to on defense. And I almost chuckled to myself saying, You know, most people would never think I would be referred to as a player's coach, you know, because there's a certain I don't know what that is, a label to that, you know, Mm -hmm. certain, um, you know, whatever that is. But I but I think when I heard that, it made me feel good. And what that means to me is that they think I'm hopefully they think I'm fair. Uh, They think that I'm not, you know, abusing my power, that I'm trying to help them and that when I get on them or I correct them or I hold them to account. There's a clear reason why I do it. I explain it, and they know that there's that there's clarity to that.
2: I think that's become a little bit media speak, don't you? And in, and in, in all across sports, uh, players, coach, hard ass coach. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not mm-hmm. that it's not that cut and dry. It's not that black and white.
4: No, players, coach. See, that I agree with you, and that's why I say I laughed about it because I, you know, I'm not a you know, we're specific, precise. You know, demanding about what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so to hear I'm a player's coach makes me feel good because, to me, a player's coach is a, is a coach who delivers the instruction to the player that the player needs. The player receives it because the coach is trusted. The coach is trusted because what they're saying makes sense and because the player knows that that coach wants good for them. That's a player's coach. A player's coach doesn't just let a player do exactly what they want, when they want. Doesn't just let them do anything. and also doesn't control them because they can't either players coach is somebody who understands how to, you know, teach and train such that you are letting them, you know, like a good parent, you're getting them ready to to operate on their own. And a good teacher leaves the scene and, and, and leaves by the end of the, the season, you know, they could run their own team. They could run their own things. That's the goal of the good teacher, the good coach.
2: Well, it seems like a natural transition. Cause my, my big thing in life is leadership. I think sports is the, the perfect ground for teaching leadership. Tell me about, what you need from your players in terms of leadership? What, are, what is your ask?
4: Uh, my ask is that they come in as eager learners every day, first and foremost. You got to be a good listener, um, you got to be open to instruction. Um, you know, the old saying, you know, um, your actions speak so loud that I can barely hear what you say um, is something that probably relates, you know. So I appreciate a good person, I appreciate a character and a good talker. But if you're not marrying your talk with your actions, then you're not leading. I'd like, I'd like you to do both. I'd like you to lead with your voice and your actions. But I sure want you to start with your actions first and then build in the voice later. I'm not going to want you to supplement or, or um, replace leadership by action, which is by talking a good game. What's,
2: what is the, this group like? Do you have good leaders in this group?
4: Yes, we have good leaders. I think the group is is uh, very connected in general. A lot of these guys grew up with each other, but that doesn't mean they're going to be connected. Uh, I think there's a there is a trust amongst the group in general. There are good guys. We have good guys on this team that, that want to do well, that want to play for the guy you know next door to them. Um, and I think that the leadership is exhibited in different ways. You know, we have sometimes we have quiet leaders that that just you know, and Tim Duncan. You know, he he, he leads yep. the right way, but maybe yep. he's not as vocal. Uh, Steph Curry is, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, involved than maybe a Tim Duncan, but he's also a quiet leader. But, you know, as you saw in the finals, you know, they talked about game seven against the Sacramento Kings after game six, you know, he never speaks up, but then he said, I got something to say. And, you know, when he said it, it meant something. So there's kinds of leaders everywhere. And we've got a little bit of all of them on this. Panel. Um,
2: culture is another media word. We love culture. Oh, the culture was no good. The culture's great. Um. Have you instilled it? Is is what's the culture of this team three weeks since it began?
4: Yeah, the, the culture of the team is is you know an environment of truth and accountability, mm. uh, of, of consistency. Hopefully, on a daily basis, they know what to expect from me. Uh, we're working towards letting them know how to expect a certain set of things from themselves and each other. So that's how we're building culture. How we talk to each other how we treat each other how we follow through on our commitments how we communicate um you know are we on time um are we respectful you know uh those are all parts of our culture
2: are they a fun group are they are there pranksters in this group or what's yeah. it like
4: yeah 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 they're, they're a fun group for sure and i mean i don't i don't even see half of it so uh, i know i know that they're a fun group uh i see i see it every now and then and the last couple of days after practice, you know, I see them um, starting to get, you know, more comfortable with just our practice space and, you know, probably, you know, me and, and all our staff. But uh, yeah, a lot. They're starting to be themselves. And, and there's definitely, you know, there's definitely characters on this team for sure.
2: Well, this is probably the longest you've gone in a long time without actually talking about the game. So I should at least do that. Um, a fifth of the way through the season. Can you believe it? A fifth of the way through the season. Three yeah. and one. Happy, content, ecstatic. How do you describe your feelings through four games?
4: You ask, uh, I asked you know the players today, one of our players, uh Clayton, I said, Clayton, do you think I'm happy when we win? And he looked at me and he said, I don't think so. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, you're right. Right now I'm relieved when we win. Okay. I said, Do you think do you think there's a time and a place where I would be happy after we win. And he said, yeah. And I said, so when is that going to be? And then when and one of the players said, when well, we're playing the right way consistently, I said, that's correct. That's yeah. when I'll know it's not an accident. I'll know that what we're doing is something that can stand the test of time and that we are picking up what it is that we need to do so that we can get what we want.
2: So with that said, then, Coach, take me into your mindset that second game up in Edmonton, you know, it's great for media and it's awesome for social media Set a new record, right? Big, large comeback in, in target time. What, what was going through your head?
4: You know, uh, we, you know, some, some days you, you deserve to win. Um, sometimes you get lucky. Um, you know, Edmonton outplayed us, you know, uh, for a great majority of that game. We were fortunate, you know, I'll give our guys credit for finding a way to win. I don't want to take that away from our guys, but at the same time, um, there's so much to learn from that game. And, and, you know, some of the same things that happened there, you know, led us to lose a game, you know, in Vancouver that was competitive. All the games are going to be competitive. So yep. um, I think, you know, we don't want to fall for the fool's gold. Uh, when we win, we, you know, a win is a win and we are very happy for it. But we know internally and the players know as well that there's a lot of work to do for, for our wins to become something that is intentional as opposed to situational.
2: My how, you got the Ottawa coming in at this, in this league, how much time do you spend breaking down the opposition? How much time do you worry about who's in front of you as opposed to your team?
4: Yeah, we, we spend, so our assistants, basically, I kind of tell them that they're, you know, I ask our assistants to take the lead on scouts and be in charge of the opponents. You know, my, my focus and my fixture is on our guys and our team and our personal improvement our team improvement so I focus on us the coaches focus on the opponent and then when we get to now we start you know practicing for Ottawa you know they walk us through some plays we talk about how we're going to guard it we talk about game plan so we do start unraveling the opponent you know as part of our own preparation um like today we started doing that for Ottawa a little bit uh,
2: thoughts on the just the general requisite question about being in Calgary because we really want you to love us. Um, what do you think about Calgary? What do you think about the the couple of home games so far?
4: It's been great. You know, our, our players love the environment. Uh, our fans have been amazing. Um, you know, opening night sellout. Second game we played, I think we had near three thousand. But uh, when when that when that comeback started happening in Elam, that place roared like as as, as loud as any arenas I've ever been in. Um, so there is a, a tangible feeling by our players, by um, you know our, our team. We can feel the energy from the crowd. Um, and then you know we played in we played in three sellouts out of our four games already. you know, both road sellouts, Vancouver, Edmonton uh, and our game our initial game. So three out of four have been in sellouts. So our guys are playing in packed houses, are playing in, in, in hostel and also encouraging environments. So that's great training for them as they try to prepare to be playing in the best leagues on earth, which the CEBL is one of those.
2: Well, I was going to ask you: Does the league feel different to you now because you've been in it before, but it was a younger league then?
4: It does feel different. I mean, of course, when I was in it, it was in the bubble, so we had no crowd. Yeah. Um, but but also, you know, there's a different level of uh, you know player uh, and and just just a, you know talent level. I think is is greater. Um, the coaching level has been, been good always, but I think it's still getting better even. Um, this is a very tough league. You know, This is an immediately tougher league than it was even last year. So I think mm-hmm. I think that that's what I hear from the people that are in it, who uh, have been in it. I, I know from my experience from last time I was in it a couple of years ago, it's way more competitive. Uh, but it's it's a tough league. And now the, the pan, fan interest is where it, it, it should be, that a level of play that's taking place. And you're seeing that with the sellout crowds. So now, in addition to a high level of play, you're having a high level of environment, which also increases the player's performance or challenges those performances.
2: What's your day like? What's, a, what's Nelson's – when does Nelson's day start and when does it end? What, how busy is it?
4: Depends. Uh, but uh, yesterday, typically like today, I'll go home. Uh, you know, Believe it or not, I probably spent three or four hours on planning practice every day mm-hmm. yeah. um and then depending on if i'm reviewing film you know, you know there's another two two hours maybe of reviewing film so you know every day is that last night it was a great day because I, I got to bed around 10 30 woke up you know about six this morning kind of reviewed what i'd had this this was a great night's rest um so i had a great <laughs> great day today in terms of that but sometimes you know you're up till three or 4 a.m because you know some things and and um and you know, the big thing is there's an old saying, you know, that, you know, sometimes they say the, the point guard or the best player, there's two people who can't have a bad day the point guard or the, the leader of the team and the, the head coach. And so sometimes, you know, I'm a human being, so I have a, a regular average practice and I know when I go home, I'm like that practice will not cut it. And so I really double down and make sure that the next practice has to be excellent. So that that type of thing can take me up to 5 to 6 hours honestly on a daily basis to make sure we get it all right especially here early on when we're trying to figure out what what you know what twist of the knob needs to happen as we start to figure our main areas out then we can start to kind of simplify practice and repeat it but in these first couple of weeks there's been a lot of tinkering that I have to go home and think about
2: my, my last one for you because I'm I'm fascinated by your role like I'm fascinated by the role of the modern head coach who coaches you Do you have mentors? Are you, are you constantly, not constantly, but do you check in with other people as the season's going on and bounce ideas?
4: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, they say leadership sometimes is a lonely Island. Um, And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I always check in with other head coaches that I know or guys who've sat in the chair who know, who know what it feels like. There's a, there's a weight and responsibility that comes with the position uh, it, it feels good to talk to people that, that know that so that when they're giving you advice, it's different than just general person advice, or general population advice. It's coming from somebody who sat in the chair, who you know knows what you're going through. so when You know that that advice is filtered through those lenses. And then here, uh, specifically speaking, uh, Coach K, uh, Steve Kaczalski, you know, is our senior advisor um, and he is an amazing mentor to everyone here. Um, a legend in the game, coached over 40 years, over 900 wins, three championships here in Canada. Um, the most amazing kind man if you, you know, but he has the most amazing way of telling you the truth, uh, but in a, such a way that you'll want to hear it, um, that he's been great for me. He tells me the truth. He gives me his feedback. We have a great relationship. And I really trust him because I know he's he's seen it all and done it all with the national team and everything in Canada. So I know when he tells me what he's telling me, that it's coming from a place of experience uh, at the highest level, but also he comes from a place of true care, a guy who loves the game.
2: I uh, really appreciate this. Thank you, Coach. Um, again, I've, it's been so much fun watching all of this and and just sitting on the sidelines, and the crowd's been awesome, and, and the team's been fun to watch. I hope you're having fun. I know that's an odd question <laughs> to say to a, for a coach, but yeah. um, I, I really appreciate the time, and and hopefully we'll get to do this again. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you, Rob. Have a good day. You betcha. There you go. You. <clears throat> the head coach of the Calgary Surge, Nelson Taroba. He is an associate head coach with the Texas Legends in the G League. That's that's his uh, day job, if you will. Um, and it's funny because we had him on when he got the gig. He sat right over there. And I believe Cammy was with me that day and uh he left calgary i believe he went to greece he was coaching over uh, went over and did some clinics over in greece he's done some clinics in in mexico he he's a lifer like he's you know this this is the path right and i i again i'm just getting to know him this is the really the longest conversation i've had with him and and uh I nerd out on the coaching stuff. I apologize, but that's, you you know, that that's why you listen to the podcast, all six and my mom. Um, but that's okay. Uh, that's what this is all about. Uh, by the way, before I pontificate, I, I don't want to forget the fact that guests are brought to you by ski seller, snowboard, ski seller, Check out their location in the summer, McLeod trail by Chinook center. Uh, are we waiting? Is, is we he is here. So, Okay. Because we, we can make a special announcement, I understand. Yes, we can. You want to go find him? Should we go find him? Should we just yell at him? You want? No, don't, because then you'll give away the ending, right? All right. Because this is a surprise guest. Yes. Although, they, you know, people complain. It's not that surprising. Shh, shh, don't. Why do you come and yell and scream? Just let me do the introduction. Um, anyway, just one one last thought on Nelson, and, and we'll get to our very special guest. Um, it was a con- I, I filled in on the barn burner, I don't know, six weeks ago. And, uh, and Tommy wielding junior was on and we got into this whole i the thing of coaching and Tommy was kind of the first one that let me inside the, I need help. Like, you know, when we're working with these young men who need help, coach coaches need help. And, and he was working with somebody and he was working with a mentor and it's, it's, you know, Oh yeah. Scotty Bowman inspired me. Oh yeah. 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 I used to watch a lot of Glenn's. That's not it it's getting on that phone and, and, and talking to somebody and, you know, leadership isn't what we used to think it is that you're a leader and now you know everything. Now, you know everything, you got to come up with an answer. You're the leader. Um, so I really appreciate Nelson and his, um, his honesty. It was fun to, to kind of get, pick his brain on that. All right. We promised you a special guest and a special announcement. And I have been, thanks to our good friend Jack, been sitting on this for a couple of days now. He didn't even have the decency to call me and ask me, but that's all right. Uh, But I could not be more ecstatic about this because after this program today, another program will be recorded. And it's part of a new uh, series, I guess, or podcast, if you like, uh, that will be hosted here on the Nation Network. Uh, It is called Live from the 55 put up the graphic there you go <clears throat> there you go live there you go member of the nation network podcast live from the 55 that means it's football and if it's football that means danny austin's doing it i am so ecstatic our special guest is friend of the program and the host of monday and wednesday show next week danny austin congratulations this is awesome
0: thanks buddy i'm super excited man so tell me about it. what's tell me about what's going on i mean you know, I've hosted your show a couple times. I've been covering the Calgary Stampeters for post media for the yeah. last seven years, which let's be clear, I'm continuing to do Yeah, I'm thrilled to have that job. But uh, honestly, like, I, I feel like every time I've been on your show, I've tried to bring some Stampeters in because that's, that's my home Hundred as that's, you, and I
2: want you to Yeah, we talk what, about that.
0: It's what I love. Oh yeah. I mean, right. you're great in that regard, but it, it's what I love. It's where I feel at home professionally. It's, it's, it's my favorite sport to cover and the truth is I. I think we need to talk about it more.
1: I do too. And I, of too. And I Absolutely. think that
0: one of, the, one of the big problems that we have is there just isn't enough talk about the CFL and specifically the Stampeders. We're here in Calgary. The Stamps are obviously going to be the focus, but um, we're going to worry. We are going to do what I love to do, which is talk about Canadian football. Um, okay. And we're going to be doing it twice a week. We're going to be, I think realistically, we're going to settle into a schedule where it sort of comes out Friday mornings as well as Monday mornings. Okay. Okay. Um, in part just because we gotta figure out how the st- studio time works sure. but I I, I I i like that idea and we're going to sort of have a very calgary focus on that first day and more of a CFOY focus on the second day uh tons of guests today uh we're recording it's going to come out tomorrow i am i am talking to derek dennis who okay. was, was released by the stampeders and look i just i love talking no, hold about
2: on that. wait a minute you're going to have a player who's no longer on the team on your show
0: Heresy! You can't do that. I How dare you, sir? thrilled to have Derek Dennis, who
2: is, I think it's uh,
1: awesome. Yeah. That's
0: that's what people want, exactly. right? They well, want the story. I want to I want to hear what happened, and I sure. want to talk to him. And I mean, honestly, there are other podcasts that they're doing CFL. I'm not trying to take away no, from no, no, what he's no, no, doing, no, no. but the, real, the reality is, I, I I know a lot of people in the business, in the industry. Um, it is my passion, and I want to give it a try. I want to go. I want to talk. And, and I, everyone here at the Nation Network's been super supportive, and we, we've been building this out together. And I I'm really excited. Yeah, I really
2: I cool. am too. Um, so kind of a pre and a post, is that the, I mean, in terms of the stampede?
0: Yeah, that's basically what we're looking at. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, this week we'll be dropping an episode tomorrow morning. Yeah. Um, the game is Thursday. Um, I believe next week is also Thursday, so we'll try to have it (laughs) out by Thursday morning. After that, if anyone wants to explain to me why we have Thursday games during the school year, um, I would love to hear it. We're going to, we're going to talk about that, but yeah, we're going to sort of do, um, pre weekend, post weekend, wrap things up and, uh, I don't know. And I, I want to talk about everything with when it comes to the stamps and everything when it comes to football. And, um, you know, we got there are great broadcast partners. I'm not trying to take anything away no, from no. them. But I think no. there's a as, as you've proven here, there's an opportunity for a longer form stamps focused um, program. And I think that it's it's a huge it's, it's a gap in the market that I, I'm looking forward to trying to fill.
2: What do we expect from the... What are you going to be talking about this year? Are you going to be talking about a, a contending team? Are you going to be talking about a rebuilding team? It's a loaded question because I think I know the answer, but...
0: Yeah, I think we're talking about probably, on paper, the second best team okay. in the CFO. Um, Certainly in the West Division. I, I, I will not come on here. I'm not... A, a big enough Homer to claim that the Winnipeg blue bombers are not the number one team in the CFL. They are, yeah. um, they are an exceptional team and they're getting older. So there's a, there's an opportunity there and the stamps have been knocking on the door, but um, they're young. And I think that part of, again, part of why I, I do want to do this type of thing is I, I don't know that everyone knows this group of Stampeders. Uh, I don't. They, well, and then you and I have spoken about yeah. that and, and they're awesome. And, and, and they're really, 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 um, I think that they're the stars of tomorrow in the CFL. And I just think that that could start this year. But, yeah, I think we're absolutely talking about a contending team. I think that those games against Winnipeg, those games against those, – those Western Division games are going to be massive this season. And those are games that they largely lost last year against sort of their their direct rivals. So that's the big step.
2: Well, how good's BC going to be? Because they won't have their quarterback.
0: Well, they or don't. they have a quarterback, he's, but they don't have the quarterback. They don't have Nathan Work. They yep. don't have the Golden Boy, and I don't say that. No, 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 English. no. Legitimately, he, he was the boy in gold. Absolutely, like yeah. Incredible for the league, Canadian kid. Um, I like Vernon Adams Jr. I think he's a, you know, top six or seven quarterback in the CFL in a league with nine of them. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Um, I think tomorrow's game is a really big challenge for the Stampeders. They're missing a couple offensive linemen. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I think that. There's a lot of pieces that have to come together. Um, so it's a great test and a great challenge. And I I expect the Stampeders to certainly be competitive tomorrow and, and probably win. But yeah, BC's BC will be in the mix. I don't think they're top two. I, I, I think that the drop off from Nathan Rourke to pretty much anybody right. w- would have been massive. I go
2: back to Wally's tenure and, and, you know, that version of the CFL, not necessarily Wally himself, but it used to be that, you know, it wasn't uncommon for training camps to start off with a bang. You know, some veteran might get cut just so everybody's attention was got and everything like that. How would you describe this camp? Derek Dennis obviously got people's attention, but I don't think that's what we're talking
0: about here. No, and I, I, we're going to talk to Derek about sort of his uh... – his view of what happened there at the end. And I think that's important to to hear. And I think that the stamps probably have, um, I don't think that they're gonna come out and respond by any means, but I I think that they have different version. No, we didn't see that. We saw this stamps. I mean, under Dickinson and it's it's smooth sailing in general. You do not get a lot of controversy. You don't get a lot of guys showing up late, guys skipping certainly workouts or, or practices it's it's been very calm and dave dickinson you know he always he, he likes to run sort of a family-friendly uh vibe and mm-hmm. atmosphere and that's what we've got in and it's it's the big questions are largely whether a group of players who are very young can take that leap if these guys who look like they're on they're on the verge of starting, the jake Mayers, malik henry who i would argue was a star uh reggie bagleton who was amazing last year but maybe didn't put up the numbers that that you expected if they can do that and keep the running game with Kadeem Carey going, they are going to be a powerhouse. They're, but you got to make those leaps. And, and as you know, development in sports is never linear. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't make the, make those guarantees just yet.
2: I, I know a lot was made when the schedule came out. I know a, a lot was made even at the time of the the actual transaction. But uh, we are starting the season knowing that we aren't going to see Bolivar Mitchell here in this building this year, which is a miss. But... Uh, is that a not a distraction? Is is that one going to go away anytime
0: soon? Or, I mean, I think that once Bo gets going in Hamilton, we're gonna we're gonna move on here in, in Calgary. Okay. I think that's that's the realistic thing. He still feels like. You know the the Calgary Stampeders icon, but if he's good in Hamilton, and that is a very good Ticats team, mm-hmm. um, assuming they keep all the pieces together, um, assuming that it works under the salary cap, which I have questions about, um, that's going to be a re- <laughs> that should be a really good team. But the reality is, Bo the last two seasons was not the Bo nope. of years before. Nope. Um, And I think Jake Mayer. I, I think it's been slightly overstated his struggles. I think he struggled in one game, and that was the Western semifinal last year. Yep. And he's a young quarterback. This is his first year as a starter. Let's see him. Let's yeah. give him that. Let's give him that grace. Let's give him that opportunity and i think that once we see both those teams going and we get them in the end of the season especially because somehow the cfl schedule makers put out a schedule that does not involve the ticats coming to calgary which is just a huge mess and we should repeat that at every opportunity because it's it's nuts um but i i think we'll move on i think that he's gonna build his own his own legacy in hamilton
2: any rule changes we need to know this year
0: i mean i don't want to try to explain this nationalized american thing that i tried to sp- Spend the morning. Um, no, nah, I was thinking more out. about
2: did we move the uh, you know the 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 single point there's line nothing, or anything like that. Or? Um,
0: I mean, honestly, there's nothing really worth mentioning. Okay. there's, there's okay. some there's some special team stuff. There there yeah. are minor tweaks, but we had. I mean, they moved in the hash marks um, prior to last season. and I do think it made a, a really big difference. Um, but no, I I don't think that the world changes are going to be significant this year.
2: So we'll get in a rhythm, but generally, it's a pre and a post game to the Stampeders game with the second show being more CFL specific. Have well, I just captured think, the spirit of it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that still the Stampeders we're here. We're in Calgary. The Stampeders are going to be the focus. Uh, I know, you know, a guy like Ian Busby who has covered. Buzz! These, yeah, I think he'll come in with me on oh, Sundays. try awesome. to record For Mondays. Um, but I, I think that ultimately, you know, this is a this is a small league and It's fun to to also talk about the other games because I watch them all. So why wouldn't we do a wrap up? And if fans from other markets do want to listen to, they are welcome to. Um, Obviously, that's um, nice. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, I do want that 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 pre show. My my vision would be very stamps focused as well as the opponent. Yeah, yeah, the game focus exactly. set up the game, talk about the issues of the week, um, and you know that's that's the plan.
2: I I'm ecstatic. I'm happy for you. I think this is phenomenal um i'm proud of what you've been able to accomplish here on a, a short period of time because thank you you're the the best host of this show and now you got your own show that's so, a so it's a, that's lie. that's how it works uh danny congratulations and best of luck and you're back on monday <laughs> stay yeah, by the I've way gotta <laughs> <out here. laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you're gonna have to get some guests but uh, we'll get past that we're gonna figure
0: it out all right i'm looking forward to it. but thank you so much man because you've been so supportive of me for for so long oh man really this is it, so.
2: this is what it's all about i appreciate it awesome all right Thanks, buddy up. there you go danny austin I love it. 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 This is what it should be. Uh, and loving it. Uh, you're going to love it on Saturday. UFC 289. Nunez and Eldona, uh Coming up from Vancouver's Rogers Arena. This Saturday. Pay-per-view. Or down at your favorite local watering hole. That supports the UFC. You definitely want to check this out. Uh, a Great top end of the card. But I just want to talk briefly about the back end of the card too. Because there's six Canadians on this. Six Canadians are fighting this weekend. It's the first time the UFC has been back in Canada in four years. So check it out. Coming up Saturday, UFC 289, Nunez and Aldana. All right, uh, let's take her home. A couple things to talk about here. Uh, Start with Sport Calgary because I am a... Director for Sport Calgary, and I am. This is something I wholeheartedly endorse. All Sport One Day is open, the June edition. Check it out, allsportoneday.ca. This is a made in Calgary solution. If you've got a kid under 18, six to 17, right there, and they want to try something different, you're always, well, I want to get them into, you know, taekwondo or I want to try basketball or I want to try ringette. But you're a little bit worried about, you know, wow, well, what if they try it and they don't like it? this is it. This is it. Go to the website, sign them up. It's free. I, in the past, it's been 70 plus sports. I mean, there's been indoor, uh, indoor, uh, sailing at one point. Yes. Indoor sailing at one point was offered, uh, Quidditch at one point was offered, but lacrosse, any, any of the sports that your kids have maybe talked about, but never, ever tried. This is the time All sport one day. Check it out. Courtesy of sport Calgary. We mentioned it off the top. Uh, the King Clancy award finalists were announced today. Michael Backland of your Calgary flames is one of them. Anders Lee from the Islanders and, uh, as well, uh, Darnell nurse, but there's, there's Backland who, uh, does some great work for a friend of mine, uh, parachutes for pets. So, uh, also ALS and, um, uh, kids' cancer and Special Olympics. Uh, he's a special guy. He's uh, a real leader, um, and he's leading in the community. And his wife, uh, Frida, deserves a lot of credit too because she's there side by side. And finally, on a sad note, um, we learned today that we lost uh, one of the greats. The Iron Sheik uh, passed away yesterday at, I believe, the age of, uh, I believe, eighty-one. Um, the Sheik, who was uh, an actual wrestler in iran and i believe the the story is then became a bodyguard for the shah uh, of iran and and came over to north america I, I and this is off the top of my head so the wrestling geeks bear with me on this one but i believe was trained by vern Ganya, but anyway was some of his early days were in minnesota but what he's most famous for of course was he beat bob Backlund when uh, Arnold Scullin uh, threw in the towel. It was very, very controversial, Madison Square Gardens. And this is the part that I think people f- sometimes forget about. He held the WWF heavyweight title for less than one month and then was beaten by one Terry Bollea, Bo- 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 or Hulk Hogan, you may know him as. Um, and that was the beginning of Hulkamania in many ways. Um, the Iron Sheik would then, of course, team famously... Uh, with the Nikolai Volkov and and they at one point I believe beat Dan Spy- uh, no Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda that version of the USA Express um, but anyway that's he, more more famously he's been known as a very uh, foul mouth curmudgeon I guess is the best way to put it uh, with famous stints on Howard Stern but for guys like me guys my age uh, the Iron Sheik played a role. In the '80s, in rock and wrestling, and and the revolution of pro wrestling, so we say goodbye to the Iron Sheik. Well, you know, you didn't have to pay for this, but this is one show I think we should have charged people. This I enjoyed this one. Adam Seaborn was fantastic. Our uh, sports business analyst from the Nation Network, uh, Nelson Taroba from the Calgary Surge, loved that conversation, and of course over the moon that Danny Austin is now doing a football show here on the nation network. Uh, thanks to RJ. Thanks to Jack, uh, as our uh, producers today, Darren Haynes in on Friday, uh, next Monday, Wednesday, Danny Austin will be your guide, your host, your, your number one friend. And then uh, a week from this Friday, uh, you couldn't, if you had to pay for this, we would bankrupt all of you. Uh, Peter Maher and Eric to on the same show. Uh, that's just too much hockey goodness in one place.